Hello and welcome to the Android Central podcast for Friday, August 2nd, 2019. My name is Daniel Bader. Uh, if you hear my dog barking in the background, that's Sadie. She is uh, barking at the person delivering something, so uh, that'll pass in a minute. Uh, joining us this week is Andrew Martinick and Jerry Hildenbrand. Welcome back. Yo. How you doing? Doing. You're getting like 26 Pixel 4s delivered right now. <laughs> Tell the truth. I am. Somebody yeah, I is working a forklift outside of Daniel's house. Yeah, I'm on I'm on the uh, I'm, I'm on the up and up with uh, the people inside Google. That's why that's why I know all of the things about the phone. <laughs> oh no, wait. It's because they released that information themselves. What? What? Okay, we'll talk about that. Obviously, that's going to comprise the majority of today's show. The Pixel 4 uh, didn't leak. It was it was exposed. Google did it to themselves. They are preempting any, any more leaks. I'm sure that we'll get a trickle trail of teaser information as we lead up to October when the phone will be announced. But it's July, or it was July. Now it's August when the phone... Uh, when we learned a bit more information about its, uh, you know, motion sense and and, and other things, so um, but we'll start out with uh, a, a, a leak that I don't think Google wanted, and that was um, something called the Play Pass subscription service. Um, and this is interesting because Apple is going to be launching its own game-focused subscription service later this year called. Apple Arcade, where you'll pay a fee every month and you'll be able to play a lot of games, many of them premium games uh, that are not available to other iOS users. Um, And it'll be, I think, quite a popular uh, feature for for people who like games on iPhone and iPad. But Google seems to be going in a bit of a different direction. So, Andrew, let's walk through what Play Pass subscription could be, and why do you think Google is approaching it this way? Uh, I, I think that Google realizes that it it's having trouble getting people converted from just relying on free apps to having some way to get them to try out premium apps, whether that's making the um, kind of the upgrade process or the in-app purchase process better, or in this case, trying out some sort of a subscription. So they're the rumor is that it's going to be $5 a month, um, but who knows? There could be multiple tiers. You could easily see this being different tiers for different levels of access. But it is very interesting that unlike um, our, uh, uh, what, what is that? the our Apple, Apple Arcade. Arcade, I guess it's yeah. called, um, you're getting access to more than just games. So they're talking about games, but also music apps and other sorts of apps that have in-app purchases that would all be unlocked. I guess the interesting question is how do they roll it out? Do they try to go with like really aggressive, you know, free several month trials like they do with YouTube music and the other Google subscriptions? How does that money come back to developers? You know, the, that's the biggest question is, you know, how do you get developers to sign up to do all this extra work to get things uh, included? How do you revoke people's access to those things when their subscription ends? It gets really gets really messy. It's not really the same as just subscribing to one app. What's really interesting about this is, you know, Google and the Play Store much more so than the iOS um, App Store is focused on freemium. Um, many of the games that are launched as 
premium titles on the App Store, like, say, um, Alto's Odyssey and Alto's Adventure. Um, they are launched as sort of, uh, you know, try before you buy titles. So you get a little bit of the game up front and then you can pay an in-app purchase to unlock the rest of the game. Uh, or they're they're just ad-supported where they wouldn't be ad-supported on iOS. And a lot of that comes back to the successful business models that people have generally found on the Play Store. Most Many people don't want to spend money up front on games and, and other services. So this feels like a way to incorporate everything, both games and this uh, the, the teaser, the leaked teaser talks about, um, you know, a curated catalog spanning puzzle games to premium music apps and everything in between. Um, from action hits to puzzles and fitness trackers, with Google Play Pass, you unlock access to hundreds of premium apps, apps and games without ads, download fees, or in-app purchases. So it seems like it'll take a three-pronged approach. You'll either get premium apps uh, included, or it'll take away some of the barriers that uh, would you know lead you to enjoy a an app or game less than you would if you didn't pay anything. So I think that's a really interesting and, and, and intuitive approach. They've got to do something. Exactly. App, app, app games especially they suck, and there's no real way to fix it that I could think of because you have. I, I don't care if if a game looks interesting to me. It's you know even ten dollars. I don't care. I'll pay ten dollars. I have very rarely paid for a game and didn't at least get that much enjoyment out of it. Of course, some I like more than others, but that's how the, the nature of that works. But there are a lot of people who refuse to pay up front for anything. So how do you fix it? I don't know. I hope this fixes it because they suck. Well, I, I just hope that this gets, uh, like I said, be as part of a multi-pronged strategy, I just hope that this gets people to at least try this, even if they don't necessarily stick with it for the long term, you know, once you start to add up the fact that you're talking about $60 a year here and, you know, whatever, a couple years in, you start to realize you've, you spent a lot of money and maybe not gotten all the value out of it. But just the fact that you could have another avenue for people to pay for games or a music subscription or, you know, whatever, like a fitness tracker or something like that is a good thing because it can then kick off people's, willingness to maybe buy it outright or pay for more of those in-app purchases. You know, not everything makes sense as a subscription in people's minds. People understand that uh, you know, YouTube Premium or Spotify costs money every month because you know, you're streaming something and the catalog is regularly updated or you remove ads, but people don't necessarily understand paying for games in the same way or paying for utility apps in the same way. So this could just be an option to, to just get them thinking that or reminding them that these things cost money. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, we looked at something like, um, Dr. Mar, uh, Dr. Mario for, uh, iOS and Android that was recently released. You know, it's a Nintendo game. It was, uh, developed in, uh, collaboration with, I think, Tencent. So, you know, Nintendo didn't produce the game, but it licensed the Dr. Mario brand. But the game is basically just a, Money grabbing match three game, much yep. like Candy Crush and all the all these other freemium games. Um, Every other game, basically that are meant that, that, that it's basically just an excuse to grind and 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 you pay money to avoid the grind. So if that you know if you derive enjoyment from those kinds of games but don't want to 
spend in, you know, pay for gems or in-app currency. Uh, and, and especially with your kids, you know, they're coming to you every day or so asking for more credit for those games. This could all, you know, this could encompass that and say your Strava subscription or your Spotify subscription or your YouTube premium, as you said. Uh, the example here is Stardew Valley. It's an $8 game, but you get that included with Play Pass. And I think that's genius. You know, it allows you to try games before you buy. And especially with the growing, you know, on the one hand, we have a ton of games um, that are that are free with ads and in-app purchases. On the other hand, though, we're getting a lot more premium console ports that are costing $10, $15, $20. And many people don't want to spend that on a phone especially if you're not sure if your Android phone is going to be able to run it well. So having this $5 a month play pass allows you to try it. If you like it, keep playing it. If you don't, who cares? You're still getting all this other value. And developers are getting a uh, repeated, consistent revenue source where they wouldn't before. It's a really interesting um place to aggregate it at the store level rather than at like the publisher level or, you know, like the Google level. I'm sure you could, you know, you can think of all the different scenarios of just Google or Apple, you know, having bundles for all of their subscriptions, but it's something a lot more valuable when you can do it at the play store level and say that it can span across all these different uh, developers and all these different categories of apps. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Honestly, I really do think that there are so many great games that are released simultaneously on the App Store and the Play Store, and the Play Store versions don't get the pickup that they deserve, and especially if they're premium. And uh, it, it really discourages developers from spending time and resources making those Android ports as good as possible. Uh, and you know that is something that we've verified time and time again. We've talked to developers who have just they they do it out of obligation or they farm off the development and publishing of the android port to a, a another company like noodle cake noodle cake has become sort of this go-to developer publisher combo for taking ios code and porting it over to android and then publishing it and getting a cut and you know if and if developers don't want to have to um you know sacrifice some of that cut they can then do the port themselves, release it as part of the play pass and get some of that recurring revenue. So really interesting. And it says, you know, we don't know if it's going to change before it launches later this year, but according to the leaked screenshots Android police got, it says that you're going to get a free 10 day trial before it starts charging you $5 a month. I would hope that they do a longer trial than that, but who knows? Yeah. I think that was probably part of the negotiation with the developers. Like, don't don't give them too much of a free taste. Ten days well, is also, enough. Also, it, it really does depend how that contract works out on on the developer to Google side. You know, are they getting paid a cut based on the number of installs or the length of the time that it's installed or the amount the person uses it? Or do they just get a flat cut of, you know, the number of... Um, people that subscribe to the service overall, it's, you know, that can make a big difference in getting the developers on board. Totally. And it may be one of those things where like Kindle Unlimited, um, the the actual number of apps included in Play Pass is really, really low, or the quality of apps 
is relatively low. You only get a few big names like Stardew Valley's one that's shown off here and Marvel Pinball, but then the tail is is long, but the quality is pretty low. So you wonder if it's going to be worth it overall. You really have to have reason to spend that $5 a month uh, in order to to justify it. So super interesting, and I, I really hope that it comes out sooner than later, but my guess is that they're going to roll out roll it out in earnest around the time that they release the new Pixel 4. So that would make sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Google can't seem to do one thing on its own. They have to do a bunch of things all at once. So um, obviously, if you've been paying attention to the internet this week, the Pixel 4 was in the limelight and for good reason, because when was it? Monday morning? I forget how long ago it was now. Uh yeah, Monday morning, Google just drops this bomb and releases a YouTube video, uh, and it shows the different ways that the Google Pixel 4 is going to use uh, the sensors up front for face unlocking and for motion tracking. Uh, and they even call out the Soli chip on the front of the Pixel 4. And we sort of knew that it was going to be there because we'd seen leaked images of the screen protector that would be available for the phone later this year. But now we have proof. Uh, They released this thing called Don't Hold the Phone, new features coming to Pixel 4. And it shows uh, a woman looking at her phone to unlock it. So clearly advanced 3D face unlock like Face ID and changing songs in what I assume is play music or YouTube music just by swiping back and forth in front of the phone. So they confirmed in a blog post that it would be called Motion Sense. And uh, Jerry, I think this was one of the the coolest teasers that we've received for a phone in recent years because, you know, as, as gimmicky as it seems, I don't think Google is going to just let it hang the way that LG did with the no, GA. No, they probably won't. And, you know, I, I was really taken aback. This is your one key killer new feature. And you just throw it out there for everybody to talk about, you know, presumably at least, you know, a month before any type of official announcement. So that that kind of threw me for a loop. But this is, and you're right, this is Google spending a bunch of money and a bunch of development time on something that they're going to work until it either dies or it's hugely success, successful. This is not something they're going to let wither. Yeah, and... I mean, Andrew, you reviewed the G8. You know that without proper software support, this motion sense feature is going to be nothing but a gimmick. But at the same time, Google says that with the Pixel 4's motion sense feature, you'll be able to, quote, skip songs, snooze alarms, and silence phone calls just by waving your hand. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, great. That's cool. That's the thing. I mean, no, it's not. Is this, is this going to be a, is this going to be a major tent pole or is this just going to be an extra thing? Because I mean, the, the issues with, um, air motion on the LG G8 were numerous, but the, the biggest thing is that it didn't work. Even if it, you know, even if it worked perfectly, it would not have been some tentpole feature that was worth advertising and hanging your hat on. And going a step further in the wrong direction, it also just didn't work very well. So the 
extra sensors and so is it pronounced soli or soli sensor i i don't know i'm going with what alex said in his video because when alex says something in in the video that you need to go to youtube.com slash android central right now to watch uh i i take him on his word but it could be aluminium or soli that's true it could (laughs) it could be as britishism coming out so what all these sensors do is hopefully fix the implementation problem where you don't have to be so specific on the depth away from the phone and you don't have to be so fine with your movements you know hopefully that fixes that problem but it doesn't address the why are you doing the thing you know my biggest thing with the g8 was it was frustrating because it didn't work 100% of the time uh, or anywhere near 100% of the time. But also the thing that you were trying to do could just be accomplished by touching the screen. And the fact that you're holding the phone in your other hand is, you know, it, it kind of takes away the the need to be able to do a touchless control. And of course, there are always, you know, examples that you can come up with when you can't touch the phone. But Google was hopefully trying to solve that with things like voice control using, you know, your wake up phrase. And you could easily see that continue to to grow as well. I think where these sensors and things make more sense is when they come out and you see them in something more like a Nest Hub or somewhere in the car or something like that, where you legitimately are not actually holding the device already and you can make them you know, work at a, at a greater distance. If this comes out and it only works with a hand swipe, um, kind of straight on with the phone and like 10 inches away, then it's, it's useless to me. That's, I get the, these seem like a tech demo to me because now on, on the surface, yeah, they're kind of cool, but then again, they're also kind of old. And we've already been able to use gestures to do all these things anyway with other phones. So the the examples they gave don't seem necessarily compelling, but I just feel that that's really a tech demo until we see what it can really do. The nice thing is that these additional sensors are apparently going to help with other things. It's not just going right. to be these hand controls. It's going to be understand better understanding where the phone is in relation to you and your hand, better understanding um, what's in front of the phone so you can do face unlock um, much better. It, you know, those those sensors can help a ton with that sort of thing. And, you know, that's going to bring value to it because... Uh, and I sure hope it is because ju- just doing the hand gestures is like, I mean, pardon the pun, but it's just a lot of hand waving and it doesn't actually <laughs> do anything. I, I, I just don't think it, I don't see Google just leaving it there. I mean, we, Jerry, you know, the capabilities of Soli, oh, right? God, You've seen yes. them year after year. We've seen the, preci- the, so just before we move on from that, cause I, I, I meant to do this right when I, when I brought it up, but what is Soli for anybody who's not familiar um, and where did it come from? What are the origins of this of this product? Google has what's called they call it ATAP. Uh, it's advanced technologies and projects. Think of it as mad scientists. They're mostly you know it started with Motorola and Google. You can be quiet, phone. Uh, Google wisely carried it, it it on and actually expanded it. They came up with what's essentially a Doppler radar short-range chip, except it's super fine-tuned. I'll use those words. 
It can see the tiniest little movements rather than look at a bigger picture or look for things that are moving super fast. It foregoes all that just so it can get the resolution higher, which means it can notice smaller adjustments and movements. The first demo they gave of it came out of nowhere. It was for an Android Wear device and it had a sensor in front of it, and you could move a virtual crown or shake your finger back and forth. Just the tiniest movements, you could do everything on that that watch, and it was amazing. And every demo they've gave since, it the capabilities are a little more fine-tuned and look a little more amazing. So you, you think of how that could work in your phone. Uh, yeah, you can wave your hand to change a song, or maybe you can twirl your fingers to turn the volume up and down or, you know, show two fingers to go into do not disturb mode. There are all kinds of things that can be done. You know, how many gestures do you want to learn is, is the limit. The thing is, um, you know, we've seen in the actual demos, this, uh, you know, turning up the volume using just like by, rubbing your pink your um, index finger and your thumb together uh changing songs just by kind of moving your finger from one side to the other i mean these are these are very rudimentary things but google i think is staking this idea that motion sense will improve over time that you're giving them a very small number of capabilities at the beginning coupled with the fact that it'll have ir sensors to allow for secure face unlock and you're like okay here we're putting our stake in the ground um but in six months or a year this is going to be a much more robust um solution for whatever you need it uh the question is as andrew pointed out it's only really useful when your phone isn't in your hand because then it's just easier to touch the screen and my thing is google has really been emphasizing this idea of your phone as ambient screen when it's not in your hand. It started out with smart displays and Google Assistant on screens in general. It moved to the Pixel 3's Pixel Stand where you put your phone on there and it turns into what is a, what amounts to a smaller smart display with um, you know showing you your Google Photos and all this all this stuff. I think the logical next step there is whenever your phone isn't in your hand, you use the you know solely chip to manipulate right. it without actually having to reach over and touch it or use your voice and it just gives you another interaction model that you you know will avoid you having to talk to it if you don't want to i think it's important for everybody to understand you can take that idea even further with the hardware they've shown on the pixel 4 if it works as advertised the Soli chip can tell when you're close to your phone. The illumination wash and IR cameras can tell if your eyeballs are looking at your screen. If so, your screen can be lit up and Soli can be watching to see if you wave your hand up and down to scroll through your notifications. If you're not close or you're not looking, your screen stays off and saves your battery. You know, Apple does a lot to make sure your face is alive to unlock your phone. Soli can do so much more. It can learn the nervous ticks we all have and don't even see. Maybe you have a little eye twitch. Uh, Soli can see that. Even if your friend can't see it, it can make sure it's you. Just what's there can do so much more 
than what Google is doing with it. It's, you know, a, a matter of working it into the software, making sure it can do it reliably without killing the battery. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the sensors in addition to Soli, because that's just one of the many things at the top of the, the Pixel 4's, uh, uh, on top of the Pixel 4's display. So on the left side is a face unlock IR camera. Then there's the face, the front facing camera. There's a proximity sensor. There's the audio port. There's the Soli chip. There's a dot pit dot projector for face unlock. There's another face unlock IR camera. And then there's the flood unlock, a flood illuminator for face unlock. So, you know, most of these things help with unlocking your phone face ID style, right? The dot yeah. projector, the IR camera, the uh, flood illuminator, they're all there in, you know, for the express purpose of making it really easy and seamless to unlock your phone. Soli will help with that, but it's, that's not its entire purpose. Um, Andrew, there are two face unlock cameras here, and Google says that is because you'll be able to do uh, advanced secure face unlock at basically any orientation, um, right. even holding the phone upside down, which is not currently possible on an iPhone 10. But it is on the iPad, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Just, I, but I wanted to make sure of that. Well, it's not 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 upside down. You can either hold it in uh, oh, okay. landscape or, okay. or portrait, but you can't turn it all the way around. I believe. Okay. I mean, I think that that's. Uh, I don't think that Google's expecting people to be using their face unlock, you know, with their phone upside down. But it's more just if it can go all the way to there, then you assume that anywhere you know within the reasonable angles that you're going to be using your phone and wanting it to be unlocked that it can handle that um yeah. uh, obviously the more interesting use case is yeah when you're off to the side or the phone's uh at an angle or you know it's flat on a table and you're looking at it from a couple of feet away you know how wide is that range of recognition and that you know that's the most important part uh all of these extra sensors and the fact that it can go so far beyond what you would normally expect it to um, it makes me very hopeful that this is going to be as good as it needs to be to, to not be frustrating and not make us miss uh, the fingerprint sensor. Oh, we're going to miss the fingerprint sensor. Come on. <laughs> okay. So that leads me into the other one. So there are two face unlock cameras here um, so that the reliability will be, uh, will be high in any orientation, but it also looks like there will be no in-display or capacitive fingerprint sensor as a result. Uh, some people have speculated that Google will just throw in an in-display fingerprint sensor no. and not talk about it until the release, but I don't think that's true. I think I Google's think going so all in on face unlock uh, because it believes that it is the better solution, just like Apple believes that for iOS devices, it's the better solution. Real quick, Google has mentioned many times they have a long-term strategy where you never have to enter a password or a fingerprint based on you being your identity. And moving away from the fingerprint sensor is a big step towards that. How so? And, well, this, has, this is very important for Google to push the envelope here and get face get face authentication up to the level where it's using it for all authentication across the OS and not having to fall back or rely on a fingerprint sensor. But well, Daniel, you said, how's that? 
if you take the fingerprint sensor away, that means you have to depend on audio, uh, sensory, and visual information to prove you are who you say you are, and your phone knows that. If you keep putting the fingerprint sensor there, it's you know it's a crutch. Mm-hmm. But it's a crutch that the industry, banks, basically anybody that needs uh, secure authentication has been <laughs> fine has been totally fine with for the past you know eight nine years. I, I agree. That's what I'm saying. It's Google pushing the envelope there. But uh, they're not. I mean, Apple did it way earlier, and well, Huawei's Android, done it of course. True. I mean, Google Google is doing it so that the the Android ecosystem going forward can hopefully go to you know go beyond fingerprint sensors. Right. I guess the question is, in the long term, this will. I think they're trying to make it easier for other companies to incorporate secure face unlock into their phones. Um, I hope. I hope this but, is something they'll. But like. let's 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 be honest here. Um, it seems like the direction all these other companies are moving are to bezel-less displays where you lose any ability to put these sensors unless unless they're underneath the display, which isn't going to happen anytime soon. So Google is kind of, they're, they're fighting a losing battle in the world of aesthetics. And I don't think the Samsungs and the Huaweis of the world or especially the Xiaomi's and the Vivos and the Oppos are going to change their tune anytime soon because they're just going for, you know, 110% visibility area like the latest Oppo, you know, waterfall screen dictates. Like that's a very different strategy and that all involves in-display fingerprint sensors. Then their customers lose out and that's for them to either make their customers okay with that or, pretend it didn't happen. If Google continues to advance Android in a certain direction and it gets to the point where it depends on having this sort of hardware to have those features and use those features and companies don't bother to include them, that's between those companies and their customers. Google should not hold itself back, even if what they're doing is wrong. I think killing a fingerprint sensor is wrong right now, but Android's their baby. And it's, they're not removing the ability to use fingerprint authentication. I mean, I know, Daniel, to your, to your point, like Vivo and Oppo or whomever Xiaomi wants, that wants to keep pushing the, the tiny bezel movement, um, you, they can keep using a fingerprint sensor, and that's fine. Uh, Google needs to be able to offer this, this secondary option and obviously, like you said, catch up to you know the iPhone X a couple of years back that was doing it. Uh, they they have to, well, I guess they don't have to do anything, but it makes sense that they're going to try to do this and try to try to push that. Right. Um, so then it comes it comes down to Jerry, uh, is this, you know, ethically, this is a better and more secure solution. But from a reliability perspective, are we there yet? Do you think that we are going to because some people complain when face ID came to the iPhone that it was slower and eventually they got used to it. You, you swipe up. And by the time the swipe is complete, face ID's done its thing and you're into your phone. And there's, there's this, there's very little friction. It's almost ambient. If, if uh, it's quick enough. Um, do you think Google solution will give them that? Uh, it can, especially with the, the Sully chip that 
you know, maybe can cut down on some of the steps needed. Uh, it, it's it's going to be buggy when it first comes out, and I'll use the word buggy. We're going to think it's too slow. Number one, like you said, we're not used to it. Number two, because there are going to be glitches. It's going to need ironed out. Google is going to err on the side of security for this. They have to. So that certainly means it's going to be slower than it has to be. And we're just not used to it. I think you hit the nail on the head. The hardware, the technology, it's there. This this is not anything new. It wasn't new when Apple did it. It just was new to see it on a phone. It's not even new to determine your identity, but it's new on a phone. The the hardware is capable of so much more than than making sure your face is really you and you're alive. So I have no doubts that the hardware can do it. It's how do you implement it and how do you get users to be happy with the adoption? Okay, so the the other question that comes to mind is with Face ID, Apple makes its own SOC. It can engage the GPU. It can engage engage the in the in the uh, latest A series processor in the A12. There's an NPU in there that allows um, Apple to offload some of that processing power. Um, we we know because Google's always done this that they'll be using an off the shelf. Qualcomm Snapdragon 855. Is that chip capable of performing the calculations as quickly as the A12? Yes, but that would mean that the dedicated coprocessor that's there for this sort of thing or for AI processing, it's done. It's in use. When your phone is locked, it can't be really used for anything else. That's, That's the killer where Apple overcomes that by including custom silicone for anything they want to implement. Google doesn't do that. Okay, so is it incumbent on Google then to maybe produce its own silicon for this, the way that they did for visual processing on, on the Pixel 2 Maybe. Maybe. I don't think we're going to see anything like that in the Pixel 4. Uh, we don't know if it's needed yet. I can see if, if a use case comes up where with the phone off you want to use the processing power that's you know in reserve for face unlock then maybe google looks for a solution as of right now you know nobody's sure if you need anything more this is kind of like well let's try it and see andrew uh earlier this well last week we heard uh from a report at zdnet that google was walking around new york offering people five dollars to take photos of their (laughs) faces Awesome. Or scan photos of their faces. Um, when this uh, information about Motion Sense and Face Unlock was released on Monday, Google confirmed to The Verge that indeed they were doing that. And it was for, quote, field research um, in order to make the machine learning algorithms less biased. Um, they are taking photos and, and uh, scans of as many different people as possible, skin color, skin tone, uh you know, shape, sizes, whatever. Um, the 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 announcement made people a little bit queasy because here's Google, one of the biggest data harvesters in the world, paying people mm-hmm. to uh, consume literally their faces. <laughs> uh, what's your take on that? I, I think it's uh, Google 
coming out and confirming that that's that is what they were doing and yes you know they have a policy for handling all that data and you know they got consent and they actually compensated people for this you can obviously argue that five dollars to scan your face is not uh, enough money but uh, i think the way that google handled it after you know that report was published was spot on i mean my only thing about this whole scanning project and improving their face recognition is they need way, way, way more data than that. Like just one person or even 50 people walking around New York, uh, even for months on end, isn't enough data uh, to use as a data set to really grow sure their, their, their machine learning enough compared to getting tens or hundreds of thousands of pixel fours out there and using the data that people provide them, you know, hundreds of times a day will. And so that's my question is what is, is Google going to continue to use the data that is on the pixel four? No, uh, they've said that going this forward, is all done on they, phone and it stays there. Right. Cause if they don't, then it's like, well, yeah, it's admirable that they want to try to get as, as diverse a set of faces as possible to train on. But the problem with these things is that even if you find a thousand different people, that's not a representative sample of hundreds of millions of people. Right. But I think maybe, uh, and, and not to knock on you, you don't really understand how this technology works. It's, what Google needs to know is how the hardware and its algorithm handles different skin tones and different lighting. It doesn't matter. I know it's not. I know it's not doing a match. Right. It I, doesn't. I understand it that. doesn't matter the exact skin tone or the exact lighting. It just has to see a pattern in what's different, and that's how they can start to adjust things. I agree. They need to continue uh, to collect more and more data because more data is always better. But this was a really good way to start. Um, Google has, you know, not been, I wouldn't say they've had a lot of success and they, they've been pretty, they've kept the sales numbers for the pixel three pretty close to the chest. Um, but at, during the company's um, investment call last week for its quarterly earnings, it said that, Pixel phones have sold in, in, in you know, double the number as pre, as the previous Q2. Um, but there were so many differences between this Q2 and last Q2 that the number is is kind of irrelevant, and they still didn't give an absolute number of, of um, units sold. So we do know this, though. The Pixel 3 has lowered the ASP of the Pixel line, but it's also been much more popular. Uh, the Pixel 3 and... 3x uh, 3a are on, are now sold at three of the four u.s carriers instead of just one uh so double the units sold doesn't seem like a huge accomplishment um and yet the pixel line is still getting out there and we're seeing ads for it and people are using them so how does google leverage that to start teasing the google the, the pixel four months before its announcement while sort of undermining the Pixel 3's uh, availability at the same time? Like, why would anybody buy a Pixel 3 right now? Uh, I don't think that Google expects anybody to at, the, <laughs> at this point, really. I mean, it, that's the thing. It, it, there's no expectation that people, I mean, they know obviously better than anybody who how many people are buying a Pixel 3. It, there's just, at this point, 
they know that the way that they're pre-announcing and hyping the Pixel 4 is aimed at the enthusiast um, kind of crowd. Um, Those are not necessarily the same people that are buying, especially a Pixel 3a or a 3a XL, but definitely not the same people that are that are picking up a Pixel 3 10 months into its life cycle. Um, and if they do, then those people aren't, are they're going to be none the wiser anyway. So it doesn't really matter. I don't think that they're losing out on a whole lot. Anybody that's following the, you know, listening to this podcast or, uh, following the pixel four leaks, you know, they bought their pixel three the week after it came out, they weren't on the fence about buying a pixel three. And if they're looking at a pixel three, a they're they're it takes two seconds to realize that the Pixel 4 is not going to be price competitive with the 3A and 3A XL anyway. So I don't think they're really losing out on that much, especially when you uh, keep in mind what the sales figures have to be. Um, you know, they have to be pretty weak. They they have yeah. to be, yeah. If if you don't give a number, you can, that, well, that's under 10 million total, period. So, I mean, 10 million would be a freaking you know, holiday for Google. Like they're not think, selling even close to 10 million. And I units. think that the entire, almost the entirety of the doubling of sales was just pixel three A's. Right. I, I didn't mean to say they were selling 10 million. I'm just saying you don't give a number. You that's low. That's low. I, I, I know one, one thing that I have to wonder about, I'm sure Google hardware, you know, the hardware division has really strict orders not to step on any OEM toes. I'm sure of it. Is this Google hardware's way of saying, hey, there's going to be a couple really high-name phones up here very, very soon. Look how much more secure our phone will be. Look what more we can give you that they can't. You know, that it, I kind of get that feeling that you, why, did, why else would you lead off with the one killer feature in your new device? You know, this is what we've got. This is cool. Nobody else has it. Yeah, it the the that strategy doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So that when you think about it that way, you you have to imagine that there has to be something more interesting than that. You know, you don't uh, even as unorthodox as Google is being, you wouldn't think that they would go and give their biggest thing early. Yeah, well, I mean, I can't arguably think of why. The, arguably the biggest thing is the camera i i don't think people yeah. are going to be buying a pixel 4 for the ability to wave your hand in front of it or unlock it with your face which is no longer a novelty it's because they've learned that the pixel lineup takes the best photos period and now we have a second lens that which isn't going to make it any more it will no it'll it make it how absolutely it will absolutely make it better because it will nah. make it more versatile we're, we're talking about Pixel here, right? We're talking about the ability to take relatively off-the-shelf parts and make objectively better photos from them using machine learning and and everything that Google has has learned about software processing, right? About JPEG processing. Um, this is a company that went from producing some of phones with some of the worst photo chops in the industry to the best in just two or three years, right? If you go back to the Nexus 4 and Nexus 5, they were literal potatoes. You wouldn't want to take a photo with them <laughs> at all. And now, Literally. you know, starting with the Pixel, with the Nexus 6P uh, and, and, and the first Pixel, 
you started seeing the early stages of that HDR plus prowess. And now you yeah, have the Pixel 3a, which is a $400 phone that takes photos better than basically any phone on the market. Now, there are lots of places where I am skeptical of Google's ability to execute on things, but camera processing is is not one of them. I just don't... There's no need for Google to include two cameras. They they can't do anything with two that they couldn't do with one. Include the wide-angle 48-megapixel camera, that's it. Cut it down when you don't need the wide-angle. Cut the megapixels down when you don't need that detail. I can't believe that they caved and added a second camera because that's what they did. Everybody else was saying you have to have two cameras to be good. I'm really surprised that you say that. I mean, you're like you're a freaking physicist. No, like, you no, know no, the, I'm, I'm not a physicist. But well, you, I mean, you you play one on TV, right? Like you, but, you know what I'm saying? Like you, of all people, should know that there are physical limitations to a sensor and lens combination in a phone, and that giving a phone uh, double the focal length, regardless of of whether it, you know. Uh, undermines the main camera just makes it more versatile. Like it, it, it doesn't take anything away from the main sensor to give an extra, you know, an, an extra sensor, uh, a, a lens with twice the focal length and allow them to do new things with it. They could include only the sensor with twice the focal length and use software to adjust it to a normal focal length when that's desired. No, that's but then what you I'm would saying. lose detail. That, that's what I'm because saying. Because it would be a crop. It's and it I mean, already think, is, especially on about the front. It, right? It's like, already the, a crop. The trend this year has been to put Sony's IMX five eighty six sensor in basically every phone, where mm-hmm. it's a forty eight megapixel sensor uh, with zero point eight nanometer uh, pixels, and you just use a super sampling on every photo by default to produce 12 megapixel photos. You, you don't even, right. most of the time OEMs don't even give you the option to take 48 right. megapixel photos unless you're OnePlus because they give you the yeah. option to do everything. But, you know, most of the time you're taking photos with that super sampling turned on and, you know, it's producing pretty good photos. I understand your sort of argument there that you know you 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 give a sensor much more detail and then you pair it back when you don't need that detail uh or you don't need the resolution in order to accrue more detail but i mean google understands this better than anybody there these are really small sensors and unless you're huawei putting basically like a half inch sensor into your phone which makes it thicker you know you what other options do you have you put in a second sensor i mean even huawei they have a they have like a half inch sensor on the P30 Pro and they have three other sensors in there. And what, like, how does that undermine the main one? I I don't see the argument. But what does it, if they, if Google includes a very high end sensor that has super resolution, you know, it it, it can be wide open like OnePlus does and give you 48 megapixels or you can, you know, super scale and, and, and bring things down. What benefit does adding a lesser sensor beside it do? That's my question. Is Shock why, variety. Why yeah. didn't Google just continue the path they were doing? One quality sensor that can do it all because they can do it all with software anyway. They have been. I don't okay, get it. Let's, let's look at the super high-res zoom feature that Google added to the Pixel 2, right? You have, um, you know, you can basically... Uh, do 2x zoom in in the app mm-hmm. and it will 
it will, you know, quote, enhance and you get better detail and it works. Right. But I compared it to the 2X um, lens sensor combo on the iPhone 10 when it came out. And the iPhone 10 in daylight was still giving you much better photos because the lens was actually twice the focal length. Okay. And you weren't cropping. So it does add some versatility to photos when you know what you're doing. I think we're just not on the same page here. So great. Include the good sensor that can zoom in and and actually give you double the resolution. And when you aren't asking for, you know, super high zoom, don't do it. Yeah. But then you, you limit the aperture on those, on those lenses. Like if you have, if you have a, um, you know, a 56 millimeter equivalent lens as your main lens, and you're and you have an aperture of like f 1.6 or 1.7 you're gonna completely distort the photo but and you have to crop it every can be time with software i don't see any reason why they wouldn't put a second sensor on there and i don't yeah, see i don't any, think it detracts from that main sensor to add additional well, things that, adds, that's the question is we and we'll never we'll never know for sure but I mean, we talk about this with the secondary and tertiary sensors on these cameras all the time is, well, yeah, they may not be the best things, but as long as that doesn't detract from what the main one does, it doesn't necessarily matter. You can argue that the extra sensor doesn't do, doesn't fulfill its promise or doesn't do its job, but it's not going to make the main sensor worse. Well, other than Huawei, I think all these other companies need that, that information because they're not processing their photos the same way. Uh, I just, I don't know. I, I guess maybe I was, I always got a kick out of how Google would just, Hey, here's one off the shelf camera sensor lens package that everyone else has. Look how much better our photos are and then drop the mic and walk away. Yeah. But that wasn't selling phones. I mean, we know this, right? Samsung includes three phone, three sensors to get pictures that aren't as good. Right. Totally. But, but so what's, what's, if you think about it, what if what if the Pixel 4 advances on the main camera experience from the Pixel 3, which it looks like it will, and night sight gets even better, and all of that whole experience is better, and also they they match the competition okay, in now, other a- yeah. aspects with a wide angle or a telephone Now camera. you threw something up that I don't think Google's going to do, but I would love to see that's what the other camera's for. It's got a full IR pickup in it. And night pictures are no longer night. They're just other daytime. Yeah, I just, you you have to just think about you know, consumers, uh, you know, they're, they look at, they, they look at things uh, a little more simplistically. They can maybe even know that the Pixel 3 takes better photos than the Galaxy S10, but the Galaxy S10 has three cameras and it does this right. cool thing. And so it doesn't matter. But That's so why I'm thinking that Google extra sensor could just be for that. So, anyway, I don't make phones. Well, that's, I am making a phone, guys, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> um, what's interesting is, you know, we've we've we know that the Galaxy S10 series has a decent, but not class leading main sensor. But you know, Andrew, you can back me up here. The secondary and tertiary sensors um, they actually are better than most of the competition. Like their wide angle yeah, good. photos wide angle are better than Huawei's or OnePlus's and or LG's, right? Oh, agreed, yeah. Um, the you telephoto gen- is generally better. Uh, it's just that the main sensor isn't, 
So they're sort of propping up that main sensor. And I, I guess, look, I see your point. If Google could continue to just iterate and improve on that one main sensor, that would be good. But at the same time, they're all, the engineers are also competing with the marketing guys to try to sell product. And by pushing a phone with one with one rear camera, and we know one front camera now because they're getting rid of the wide-angle lens on the front. Um, well, maybe. Um, maybe that that's a wide-angle camera. That is probably pretty hard to, to pull off. I'm almost 100% certain that the front camera is wide-angle. And when you tap that wide-angle button, you get to see all of it. And when you don't have that button enabled, it's, it's cropped. I'm almost certain of that. It'd be dumb not to do it. Maybe a little bit, but they have to, again, compromise between yeah. focal length and detail. Right. And, and I think they can pull that off with the front camera without any issues at all. But a lot of people are going to be upset that they're sure. getting rid of that. Oh, you look at the comments. People already are. I mean, thankfully, we have no reason to expect anything other than the, the Pixel 4 having the best selfie camera of any phone anyway, because oh, yeah. well, the Pixel 3 already does. Even the 3A is is fantastic. I think if, you know, if you go there, the the the, the Pixel 3, I still think, has the best camera of any phone you can buy today. Mm-hmm. If you say the P30 Pro, I'm not going to argue with you. It's that close. So the Pixel 4 is going to continue that trend, and this is going to be the best phone camera you can buy. Yeah, I'm not even I'm not even arguing. Like, the P30 Pro is more versatile, but... If you just want to take good photos, especially of people, uh, the Pixel 3 is unmatched. I, I, I prefer taking landscape photos, nature photos with the P30 Pro. Interesting. But I don't like the way that they pros, process faces. Um, they, they have this tendency to get rid of facial detail that I just, I just don't like. Um, and it kind of just washes out. That could anything. be a culture thing. I, I mean, I've thought about that, but like, there, there's still like a, a beauty mode that is enabled by default. And okay. even if you turn that off, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, re, it, it doesn't reclaim any of those, the, you know, mm. the facial detail that the, that the Pixel 3 picks up. Eh, Google's um, just better at that while Huawei's better at the trees and stuff. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if you take photos on a Fuji, people are going to fight you to the death to say that Fuji JPEG processing is the best and that Canon and Nikon and Olympus and, Panasonic and all the others don't even come close. Well, they'd be right. But. <laughs> <laughs> so, but then people who take photos with a Sony are like, yeah, I prefer the versatility of, of blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it, it is what it is. Yep. Um, and, you know, that's, that's, that's why competition makes everything better. So I love that exactly. Google is in the game. I love that they're, again, putting their stake in the ground and saying we're not necessarily going for the most attractive photo of uh, camera, uh, phone on the market, but, uh, they're putting that bezel in there because it has a purpose. And, and I respect the crap out of that. So you, you know why none of that is, is really that important if they, you know, is why don't they also make the battery last the entire day and also let me continue <laughs> listening to my podcast when I take a photo? Yeah, like, don't ask them for that, too much, Andrew. That's, that's just the, absurd. The, that's the crazy thing. We're getting really, really deep into the weeds about the differences between the the focal lengths of the cameras on the back but like my pixel 3xl has to be charged in the afternoon every single day charge me in the afternoon because that so, phone was you know, designed to saying, sit maybe, on a fancy dock that shows your google maybe photos maybe don't man. skip uh, 
Yeah, maybe don't skip the basics again. To be fair, I mean, that's kind of what we were talking about with the camera, but still. It's 3 it's 3 p.m. Eastern here right now and my Pixel 3a, not even the XL, is at 71%. So, I don't know what they did right with this phone because it's only got a 3000 milliamp hour battery, but the 3a, yeah, the 3A lasts a does longer do than my 3XL. So, I think it's a thing of it's so what bananas. they mess up. Yeah, <laughs> basically. I mean, it's just there has to be something wrong with the pixels um, like a thirty five hundred milliamp hour battery should not last you eight hours, like period. It doesn't matter what phone it is. It doesn't matter what you're doing with it. It should not last you. You shouldn't need to recharge it in the afternoon. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm most worried that Google is, is not going to say a damn thing about battery life. No. And then. We're just going to have to just deal with that again, which is kind of crazy. If you think about it, when Google releases the Pixel, for better or for worse, there's only one phone that they compare it to. And as long as the battery life is comparable to an iPhone, that's all Google cares about. I think that's kind of dumb because there are a lot of really good phones out there that will last you one, maybe even two days on a charge. And Google pretends like those phones don't exist. Yeah, they just don't place you know every phone maker and you know google's hardware division is just another phone maker you know they have their priorities and they can lean on things like that wonderful camera we were talking about and the other parts of the software experience and now they can talk about face on unlock and things like that you know those things are obviously all going to be a higher priority i would just be interesting which is super sad it would be really interesting if they just had average battery life like that would be cool one thing i'll i'll bet that they don't monkey with stuff and you no longer have those weird memory glitches in the Pixel 4. I really you know, think that they learned nice. their lesson. Yeah, they they feel like they do go hands-on with the memory management too much and it it mess it broke things. Yeah, that that and they even monkey with some hardware drivers to try to make it quote unquote better. And I think they finally learned that no, you know, we've never made it better. Let's stop trying. Yeah, they, they kind of uh, leveled themselves incorrectly. I mean, they're, we know that they're only putting six gigs of RAM in these phones <laughs> still. And the the, the so, rumor for the Note 10 Plus is 12 gigs. 12 gigs. <laughs> like, you know, put in an extra two gigs. Give yourself some breathing room. It's not going to cost that much more. Just, no, and it helps with the camera, I think, is the biggest justifier. I don't understand that. It's so bizarre. You know, it's not like iOS that, you know, you can get away with in putting three or four gigs in there. You just can't get away with only six gigs anymore. It just it makes right. no sense. Here's, what what know, other flagship doesn't nine, have eight gigs of RAM? Even Yeah, like here's our $900 phone that has like 15 sensors in the top bezel above the screen that's only three millimeters tall. But, you know, we can only put six gigs of RAM in it. Sorry, guys. Well, I think a better thing to do would be look at why you need more than one gig of RAM and then see what needs to be done. You know, that's a, a lot of it has to do with the way Google lets apps work. Uh, there's no way to change that now. So, you know, maybe adding more RAM is the answer. Uh, restricting things for battery life doesn't make anybody happy. So if you started restricting things to better manage the RAM so your podcast player doesn't cut out, everybody's going to hate it. So, I, you know, I hope that they started at the very base and determined which direction they needed to go. They need to they need to poach some engineers from OnePlus. I guess. Just just do just do what the OnePlus 7 Pro does. Well, we know that OnePlus poached a bunch of HTC engineers when 
when they could. And, and Google bought 2,000 of them. So you know, they can just share resources, swap between each other. They have a Taiwanese, the, the OnePlus, um, the camera center in Taiwan is there because of HTC. They, yeah. they basically t- took all of HTC's camera engineers and made them OnePlus employees. So like you don't you don't even have to move your desk. You're cool. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not sure why Google didn't take those employees as well when they when they uh, spent how much was it again? Forty million or something? I cannot even remember what the total charge I, was. I just, as we look back in hindsight, that was the best thing OnePlus ever did because everything we hated about those old HTC cameras, now that it's been slightly refined, the bigger you know bigger pixels, the bigger sensors. It's wonderful, and that's what makes our phone cameras so good. So those engineers really knew their stuff. Yeah, I was taking a look through Google Photos last week, and I came across a trip to Berlin I took in June of 2013. And the phone that I brought with me was the HTC One M7, which had that famous four-megapixel camera with two nanometer pixels. So like at the time, that was unheard of. But looking at those photos, they're not great. No. You know? At the time, they seemed amazing because you could take photos in any lighting. But now, they just don't look very good. And daytime photos, there's almost no detail. Yeah, that just needed a little bit of refinement. HTC should have... Maybe if they had waited another year, they'd still be around. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, the other part of it, the following year... Well, they did the same thing with the M8, and then yeah. the M9 had the complete opposite and had that like 20 megapixel sensor that was complete garbage. So we all know how that turned out. Yep. RIP in peace. Um, all right. So I guess, you know, that's, that's all we know right now about the Pixel 4. I'm sure we'll learn more as Google trickles it out over the next few weeks and months. And we'll, you know, we still have two months until the unveiling. So. Stay tuned for that. Uh, the last thing I think we should talk about today is this news that the NVIDIA Shield, this four-year-old Android TV box, is finally Zombie box. getting Android 9 Pie. And holy crap, Like this is the only Android TV box that matters, and it's now received four major platform updates. How the hell is NVIDIA doing that? They control everything about the box. That's the short answer. Uh, the the long answer is unicorns, rainbows, all kinds of really cool stuff. Because go Nvidia, keep going. I want you to update that thing next year too. Well, the great thing that it, I, I just uh, I know that Nvidia isn't just going to do this out of you know the kindness of their corporate heart because you know corporations don't have hearts. Um, well, in America but, they do. <laughs> they are people. Uh, I I. I like that this indicates that they're actually continuing to sell these things and they're selling in really solid numbers. We, you know, solid enough to justify supporting them so that they can keep selling it as a modern device. And the the Shield TV has always been this weird thing, even when it went from the first generation to the second generation and it was effectively just the same box in a different and a same board in a different package. Um, it, it, it's just, we know this intuitively that it's the best Android TV experience this entire time, but also it kind of just defines the entire segment. Now there isn't really another Android TV box that anybody cares about in, you know, in any sort of capacity. It's really just 
Chromecast, built-in Android TV into TV sets, and then the Shield TV, and that's it. Oh, it will get NVIDIA made Google look bad in that space, period. It's Yeah, I mean Google didn't do itself any favors there, but well, NVIDIA really did do that. It's wouldn't it have been great if this company could still make phones and hadn't been pushed out of the phone business from patent abuse? And the tablet business. Yeah. Oh, is that why you're all spicy about Qualcomm? Yes. Yes. Mm, and I, I know people that lost their jobs over that. And every time I think of it, I, I don't want anyone at Qualcomm to lose their job. I just would like some CEO to have to pay about 700 gazillion billion dollars to the guys who lost their job. That's, uh, that, that, that makes sense. Um, is it okay? So maybe this is like conspiracy theory craziness over here, but is it possible that the reason the shield keeps getting the shield TV keeps getting updated is because of the Nintendo switch? Like, is there any uh, correlation between switch runs Tegra X one? They're continuing to update and and push firmware updates for that. And they need to optimize anyway. the SOC. You might as well keep the drivers up to date so that you can continue giving the Shield TV platform updates. I mean, you, is- you, you could be onto something because as far as the rest, I mean, you just download what Google gives you and type something in and come back in an hour and Android's built. The hard part yeah, is... Yeah, I'm sure that has a non-zero effect right. on it. A- another thing is the hardware for a, you know, a, a Google TV box is so good, there's no reason to even think about you know, let's try something new. It still can do everything you want. 4K HDR plus, not a problem. It just does it. Yeah, that's that's the nice thing is sure they have to do, you know, work on some some support libraries and new um, new APIs and new interface things that Google rolls out, but you, you, they don't have to shoehorn it in there. Right. The, the hardware can 100% handle it. Uh, we're talking about things that a chromecast ultra can do right so yeah maybe if they're continuously working you know with that chipset because of the switch and look at the phenomenal sales the switch has had i'm sure that nvidia is happy as anyone else about it why not why not just take an extra little bit of time and you know let's apply this to android as well what's so interesting to me is that nvidia has um, slowly but consistently moved the shield away from being a super high-end, do-everything kind of pseudo-gaming box down to it really is more of just a streaming media box yeah. now. It's $170. It doesn't come with a uh, controller anymore. It just comes with a super basic remote, um, You know, competing more with the high-end of the Roku market. Nope. Um, it, they've managed that transition which, of course, to to your point, Jerry, doesn't stress doesn't stress the box at all compared to trying to run games or you know stream games over your local network or anything like that. So they haven't had to anyway. The flip side of that is I play Borderlands the pre-sequel on my Shield TV all the time, which you need a fairly substantial oh, PC totally. to play. It's capable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you just don't have. It's just not what they're hanging their hat on anymore like it's there for the nerds that want it but they've also just stumbled upon being the default and frankly only you know only streaming box from a marketing standpoint yeah that's something they should run with even better it's you know what you want to stream media this is the best way to do it hands down 
and they're so so deep into just pure profit land on this thing at I'm this point sure. with so many years into it and when they made that transition from that really gorgeous but frankly surely way too expensive hardware of the first generation to the kind of plasticky cheap you know you know, yeah. hardware that's just going to hide behind your TV. They are just printing money on this thing. They have to be. I'm sure they've covered their development costs and then some. Yeah, by a mile. And, I mean, with the Shield, uh, with the, the Switch getting a r- refresh, a silent refresh this summer, uh, it's possible that it's because they took the Tegra from a 28 nanometer process to a 14. Yep or even a 20 nanometer and just, you know, saved on heat output that way. And that silent refresh could be reflected in the shield TV. We don't know. I mean, it's possible and I'm they could keep sure it the same price and keep, and, and keep in, you know, the BOM costs down. Yep. The, the, so the shield needed that because it's a battery powered device, but you know, why the, bother the, to the, continue to make two? the switch? You mean? Yes. Yeah. The switch, the shield doesn't, and he doesn't need a better chip. But if you're going to make one, you might as well throw it in there and stop making the old one. Right. I mean, it just it saves costs in yep. the long run. Once the development is done, producing smaller chips means you can produce more of them on a wafer, and that makes it easier and cheaper. I have a feeling that Nintendo sales are going to cover the development there. So, Yeah, no Heck doubt. Yeah, put it in everything. Put it in a phone. Also, it's uh, we we didn't talk about this last week on the show, but the uh, XDA guys figured out a way to put Android on the Switch yep. with uh, devices that were that still have that vulner the hardware vulnerability that uh, was patched in I think June of 2018. So if you have a launch Switch or any Switch that was purchased up until mid 2018, you could probably put Android on there, even though don't really think you want to. Well, as why as a dual boot solution maybe if you're really nerdy and you want to play other emulated games but yeah android doesn't make the switch better well i mean it, it's interesting right because it does support um the joy cons and you can um you know you can play some games with controller support but mainly it's it, you're right it's you do it all on the micro sd card so there's no effect to your system software. It's just you take out the SD card, you put in your Switch one back, and you're you're good to go. And, and um, I've I've heard some rumors that they think that they're going to be able to bypass that update too. So even if you have a new Switch, you may be able to do this thing you probably don't want to do. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind getting my hands on it just to see what it can do. It's not elegant by any means, but it kind of brings me back to the days of nightly cyanogen mod builds that you know I would put on my my Nexus phones. I love that people still do this stuff, even though just like then it doesn't make any it doesn't sense. make a lot I, of sense. I can sense, picture yeah. Daniel; he had one of those HD sevens. What was that? What it was HD two? HD two. No, I never yeah. had one of those. I had the HTC Hero. Um, Do and Windows and Android and. Oh, I one 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 day uh, I want to tell you about. So the first Android phone I bought was the Milestone, which was the Canadian Droid or the international the good Droid, you know, Droid. Um, and I I stayed up. I would say seven, and yeah, like uh, I I spent seven hours trying to root this thing. Um, <laughs> and it was back in the day where like that wasn't super easy. 
and I got the phone um, and I basically had to, I also had to unlock it because it was, it was locked to another carrier. And I worked with the unlocking service because I was the first person in Canada with the phone that had wanted it unlocked. And I worked with that person to get the database open so that they could get the unlock code for my IMEI. Yeah. Oh, and it was like hacker. so early days. Oh man, it was so exciting to finally root it and get it unlocked and use it as my main phone. It was like such an accomplishment. I imported a milestone and never got to use it because while I was trying to monkey with it, I fried it. <laughs> of course you did. Because you opened it up, didn't you? No, no. This is because I was, all right, this is just taking too long. I think I know a better way when I was trying to break the bootloader. And I broke it, all right. Yeah, that happens. Yeah, I think one one podcast will get everybody here who used to do like zero-day stuff and we will just share <laughs> uh, share horror stories and success stories uh, and, and maybe you listening can also send in your, your rooting yeah. and, and modding success and failures because we'd love to hear them. Um, I think we're going to end it there because, uh, we get, we have places to places to be in and, and, and people to go and, and all that good stuff. Um, Andrew, Jerry, thank you so much. Um, thank you very much. 420 rooted, baby. Actually next week we're going to do a show after unpacked, right? live yes we can absolutely do that do it in the Uh, house i think that's the plan so yeah uh stay tuned next week because 7th uh at 4 p.m eastern 1 p.m pacific is uh, the beginning of the unpacked event we'll see the note 10 and 10 plus and all the other big things that uh, samsung is going to announce and And we uh, will have takes you will have a take or two uh if we're lucky so yeah stay tuned for that uh until then Send us your thoughts, your comments, your suggestions, your 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 uh, intriguing stories about rooting and modding to podcast at Android Central. We love hearing from you. And as always, thanks for listening. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. So long. Adios.